0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. This message is on touch, but I don't want to go too far down the road without saying uh, thank you to uh, John and the people of Thrive for the opportunity to preach. Just give the the main man a little break here now and then, and especially when he's on vacation. So thank you for the privilege of bringing the Word of God to thrive, the opportunity to be touched by the music and the people and the ministry that's here. Uh, It is my delight. So uh, I am just the sub as we go on. So that being said, I need one more demonstration. Okay, who would like to? Okay, John, uh, come forward. (laughs) if you insist. He's just there waving his hand in the front seat. Stand in front of me and turn and face the people of God. Doing doing, doing that. So you see any difference in John yet? Keep going. He's, He's got some tension in his shoulders. Yeah, He's doing that. So what is being communicated to John. He doesn't like being what? In front of a camera. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, he's never used to being in public. <laughs> yeah. What's being communicated he's to John? I am married to a physical therapist. Yeah. Oh. So I have learned absolutely so, not only that, just again, more bonus material. Her physical therapy class, their motto was physical therapist rubbed you the right way. <laughs> I said, I have to make that woman my, my wife. That's amazing. We actually, we were married by then. So, what's, what, what do you see? What do you feel? How does it feel to you to have me rubbing John's shoulders? What does that do? It shows caring. Caring. Jealousy. Jealousy. <laughs> Yeah, right, it's right before communion, we're all going to kind of share the, you know, that, and you can I can feel the difference already in his shoulders are starting to relax, and you know. he's going to want that every week. <laughs> <Welcome> <laughs> the reason Welcome not to do it. Down. Yeah, right. Thank you, thank you, brother. Um, again, same phenomena. That was an old story, an ancient story that really made a difference in our family, and it was one touch, and it birthed the whole phenomena. Uh, and just what was communicated uh, right now with, with John, and I did it to to do that. So it's phenomenally, incredibly important. Now, it's easy to do that when I know John would receive it and, based on those shoulders, could use it, <laughs> and we would understand and be, be a part of the thing. But how would that touch be communicated if, uh, there was a crazy man who was drooling and he was just in some institution and you walked in those doors and he wanted to hug you what would that feel like? Yeah, see, I saw a look on your face, it's like Ugh. it's a little difficult yet that's exactly what Jesus did last week, John pointed this out, is that Jesus was ready to embrace folks who would go Ugh. Again, a little more examples with Mary Louise, because she's a physical therapist, but she used to work at Denton State School and often work with folks who were very deformed. We were just talking about that. It often can be hard to touch somebody who's incredibly deformed, because it makes us feel vulnerable, and that touch field is very communicates a lot, doesn't it? So, what we're going to talk about today is a story within a story. It has a lot of common denominators with last week because it's jesus moving toward him not just going i love you but doing what mary louise did pulling the hand around putting it around the waist and embracing. and i would offer to you that and we'll kind of take a look at that the american culture is way different and way short on the kind of intimate touch and we're oftentimes afraid of it and believe me as a pastor and trained as a marriage and family therapist i'm keenly aware that touch can be a phenomenal that can do damage and I, was, and I was also very, very aware that I was the only man in a, when I was at, working with a Peace Church in uh, Naples over there, I was the only man with a staff of 36 women, <laughs> right, and, and 156 children that touch had to be very cautiously delivered and I was very, very certain to make sure any touch occurred in public venues and I was careful, but it was a little. But when kids would see me, they would come running up to me. Not all of them, but a few, and just grab my leg going, running it through. So they, they weren't all programmed into the keep away and don't do that. They were doing it, so it would be like I'd be cautious in hugging somebody, and the kid would be grabbing onto my leg, and I'd bend down, and, and, and. so. We're gonna take a look at the way Jesus embraces not just foes who are ready for a shoulder rub or a hug but the unembraceable the untouchable this story within the story is where we're going the transformational power of jesus touch now touch is so wide and the sermon is kind of wide itself because it's a lot of material and touching is a metaphor it's a physical reality many of us are associated with danger and post-covid are we post-covid i'm not sure in this era (laughs) whatever this era is COVID has left its mark on our touch, you know, because some folks are still cautious about the touch. Some are doing the fist bump, and, which is fine. I, I get that you have to go according to your own comfort level, but it's like a whole new phenomenon. Others have been touch-starved through COVID, and you know what that's like. You just long to be touched. If you've walked through a, a nursing home or an elderly care center, you can know and see and feel their longing reaching out. I remember doing that as a vicar right there in Lake Worth, Florida, working with Pastor Ted Icehold, if you remember him, and walking through uh, those centers with him going, I was a little bit off-put, and he was showing me how to do that. I learned to kneel before them and hug and embrace those who you go, Ugh. So it's very powerful. Let's get to the story, and then here's our text for today. It's basically right after the demoniac, and Mark, you know how Mark does, bam, bam, bam. So Mark's moving along. So and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, okay, he just finished the demoniac thing, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, a big deal, the rulers of the synagogue, this guy's a big deal, he's kind of the stewardship, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So now I go to a story within a story. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Ugh. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said in her own mind, If I touch even the garments, I will be made well. And immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving Himself, the power had gone out from Him, immediately turned around into the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, who touched me? (laughs) I love the indignant disciples, as though they could be indignant. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, which is, by the way, the way the Gospel of Mark ends, fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. There's a lot to tell, because what we'll get into in the sermon, she wasn't supposed to be there, and she wasn't supposed to be touching him, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, we're going to go back to this, daughter, the only time this is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease present tense. Remain healed of your disease. While I was still speaking there, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. The Bible doesn't say what was going on with Jairus when this was happening, right? But I can only imagine if it were my daughter. I'm going, whoa, not a delay. No, no, no. But knowing that you don't want to upset Jesus, knowing that he's going out of his way for you, knowing that this is important. Can you imagine him just nervously, tensely, waiting on the sideline, going, come on already? That's my imagination, but I I would offer to a distinct possibility. And then, after waiting nervously for however long that took, somebody comes back and said, your daughter's dead. The angst of waiting too long. Did I wait too long to go get Jesus? Was it hesitant? Was it too dependent on doctors? Second-guessing a parent might do at the death of their daughters? We all second-guess around death, don't we? Much less children. I've been in the ministry to children and had buried them. And as Pastor John and I know, and pastors who've buried children, oh, you're never the same. It rips the heart out of you. And to get that news after waiting and trying to get Jesus to move on, your daughter's dead. Oh. Those four words had to just sink his heart. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Fear and belief, opposites. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, inner circle. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. They were professional mourners. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed. They laughed at him. They laughed. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, touch. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, we translated it out of Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were, you guessed it, immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them, and no one should know of this, and he told them to give her something to eat, which is an odd, Odd thing to say, since all of the mourners, all of the community, all of the people who saw Jesus are going but Jesus goes,. D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. Keep this between you and me. when her very walking existence would be an illustration that something big happened. and he cares for her physical element, give her something to eat. Boy, there's a lot there. This sermon is going to have an intermission. We will serve refreshments. And if I'm doing that, you've been warned. Well, let's go. If you take a look, touch is so woven into our culture. Uh, songs with touch in the title. The Hollies, Magic Woman Touch. Uh, oh, I had uh, my favorite, which is didn't make the cut. The Doors. Remember The Doors? Come on, come on, come on. Touch me, babe. Can't you see? That? I'll stop singing. I'm sorry. So, all right, so point being, touch is in our music and our culture. It's just a part of who we are. There's also a lot of history and mythology of touch. I thought this was kind of interesting from the uh, Greek sort of philosophers in history. In Homer's Odyssey, Odysseus visiting Hades tries to hug his dead mother and to Clea so that they might find a frigid comfort in shared tears. It's interesting that they offer no comfort for the dead in the culture, but Anticlea is now a lifeless husk as she slips through his arms like a hologram. The Homeric underworld is a place of permanent lockdown where the dead live on as unreachable, self-isolating ghosts. (laughs) right. But that's the background culture into which Jesus is now arriving where The dead wish they could hug and just can't get their arms around somebody, just self-isolating ghosts, which is interesting, too. There is a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, which is about a fantasy bus trip from hell to heaven. Speak up, from hell to heaven. And what hell is, according to C.S. Lewis, is a place before the end times where people just keep moving apart from each other. Growing further and further isolated. No touch. So that's the background of, of this phenomenal touch. Current culture, Philip Pullman in his Dark Mysteries trilogy echoes the scene in its last book, The Amber Spyglass. Lyra tries to hug her friend Roger in the world of the dead, but he passes like cold smoke through her arms. Kind of picks up on that whole theme. So even today's culture and authors kind of do that like it's hell to not be touched, to not find an embrace. So there's also a lot of connection between touch and health. We'll just touch on it very, very briefly. The skin is the largest organ in your body and sends good and bad touch sensations to your brain when you engage in pleasant touch, like a hug. How about this? Your brain releases a hormone called oxytocin. You can almost get addicted to those, right? This makes you feel good and firms up emotional and social bonds while lowering anxiety and fear. You know that, but a scientist now discovered it and said it and objectified it, so now it's true. This reaction begins at birth. When babies are born, doctors suggest that mothers hold and comfort them often to promote healthy development. You guys know that, too. That's the first thing that happens. What I found is kind of new with each of my kids is they've had their children, is that that's what dads are doing, too, which we never had that same calling. This human-to-human interaction keeps us throughout our lives, keeps up throughout our lives, even in our adulthood. Human touch helps regulate sleep and digestion. Huh. Builds your immune system and fights infection. This from WebMD. I went, really? Huh. It's almost as though we've been designed to be touched in our spirit and in our bodies. It's a universal human need with varied expressions. Uh, If you look around the world, in North North Africa and the Middle East, Men join hands together in greeting, then kiss their own hands or hold them to the heart. The Congolese touch each other on the temples and kiss foreheads. I like this one. In Tuvalu, they sniff each other's cheeks. Which, yeah, which cheeks? Uh, Stop it. John. And the man, islanders of the Bay of Bengal, sit in each other's laps and then, in farewell, lift the other person's hand to their mouth and blow. So it's good. So which of these are we going to use for the greeting, uh, John? (laughs) And all of which is to say varied in forms of expression, but all cultures that we know of anyway have some form and degree of touch. I remember watching the Olympics, and the Russian men would do what with each other? Kiss. So universal human need. Touching in the Bible is also very, very prevalent. The Lord God formed from the dust of the earth and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and became a living being. So the very way in which we have been formed illustrates our continuing need because God took, he didn't just stand back and say, whoosh, let there be a human, but got really involved, right? Got into the dirt, the dirty part of the job and formed it. So our very existence has been formed by the touch of God. It's very prevalent in the prophets by way of quick summary. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel were all touched by God on the lips. You know, I always discover something new that even after 38 years of ministry and preaching, I didn't, know, I didn't realize all three prophets were touched on the lips. Oh, learned something new. Jesus' incarnation is making God touchable. So... People were hugging and embracing, and Jesus was touching all over the map, making God absolutely touchable. Can you imagine trying to embrace a burning bush? I can't either. So God brought it down. And laying on of the hands, at least 24 times in the Bible, I shared with you the story that it was my confirmation when I was in 8th grade when the pastor laid his hands on me that I had some kind of awareness, knowledge, experience, phenomena, where I knew with certainty I was going to be a pastor. I was ordained, and I was in eighth grade. You couldn't tell when I was in high school that that would have happened, but <laughs> I, it's on the laying on of hands that that occurred to me. And I, I see just this phenomenal instant recognition that through the laying on of hands, through the touch of Pastor Figuli. Jairus' urgent request as we get to the story, so that's all kind of background, is that he was a synagogue ruler as chief engineer or chief steward. So he was a big deal, Jairus. So it was a big deal to go to Jesus. You can imagine that he might have been getting some cross pressure from the Pharisees who didn't like what Jesus was doing and didn't like the way he was touching people. The word that he uses is interesting, too. My little girl is at her eschaton. So the, the eschaton, the word eschaton is, is eschatology or the book of Revelation is eschatological. It means at the end, at her end, breathing her last. Her breaths were shallow, she was barely hanging on. You've been around the place where people uh, are dying, you know, and he was going, to, so she was just barely there. That's why in my own, and I could be reading into, this, into the story stuff that may not be there, but i got to think that that little bit of delay with the woman with the blood flow is really, really causing Jairus some problems because did, he, did I wait too long? Did I? Maybe that's just me. text doesn't say that. What does he want Jesus to do? He wants Jesus to touch her, just lay your hand on her. He's keenly aware that the touch brings life. And so they get on their way. So I said, just come touch my little girl who's at her eschaton. In the midst of all that, here's an artist's rendering of what it possibly could have looked like. I don't know. Who knows for sure? But I want you to see what she was reaching for. And that's ostensibly Jesus walking down. There's a big crowd, and and, uh, she's had this interior dialogue going on inside of her. Look, if I just reach and touch him, I don't want to bother him doing that. There's all kind of problems going on with this woman being there in the first place. First of all, she's reaching for a Jesus' garment and the tzitzit. Tzitzit, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right, tzitzit. So the tzitzit is here from Deuteronomy 22. Thou sh- you shall make the fringes upon the four quarters of your vesture where thou coverest thyself. I don't know how the King James got in there. Thou shalt make the fringes. I never say that. But anyway, you get it is that it is the cloth hanging down, and there should be four corners to that. So this is the edge of the edge of the garment. This is it. From Deuteronomy 22, instructive. Interesting in the background, too, is maybe the woman knew this, I don't know, but for, for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise, a prophecy of Jesus, with healing in its wings. That's how it gets translated into English. But guess what word is in its wings? The word wings is tzitzit, so not wings like oh, but wings like right there, the very edge. in healing. in its tzitzit, and you'll go out leaping like calves in the stall, hmm. So in the background is running this prophecy from Malachi. Did she have this in mind? We don't know. Is she reading too much into the story? Maybe. She's playing that out in her head and in her mind, and just wanting a touch. Notice that in both cases there was the desire and the call and the need and the longing for touch. Lay your hands on my daughter. Just touch the zip. Neither of them said, "Make it happen." And he could and did. Six days were created like that. An entire universe were just, "Make it happen." They wanted the touch, the embrace. All this communicated through the shoulder rubbing of Pastor John's shoulders and the look that you saw him start to loosen up and the smile that came across his face and the realization, hey, I can give a shoulder rub. All of that is what they were calling for, wanting, needing. So there it is, someone touched me, urgent interpretation. And as I read that, I add sort of the dramatic feel to it. In Leviticus 15, on being declared unclean, you were isolated, banished, there was no touching for the unclean. And she was unclean. She should not have sought touch. The word there, she suffered from physician, is only used by Mark here, the one time, and for Jesus. Jesus, the word there is a very strong word, suffered much for us and will crop up. If you take that word out, pick it up, go into the end of Mark, insert it into the passion of Christ, and you'll find it's the same word. So Jesus is giving to us a kind of insight, or Mark is giving us kind of an insight that she was suffering from physicians like Jesus was getting ready to suffer from us, which by the way isn't in Luke. Why? Because Luke is a physician. (laughs) She violated Levitical law by being there. She wasn't supposed to be there. She was risking Further punishment and isolation. She's already isolated. She's already wondering whether this is God's punishment. She can't get through to the doctors. They're not helping. They're making things worse. And now she steps up and doubles down by getting inside of a crowd. Are you kidding me? Her risk is phenomenal. Doctors didn't help. They made it worse. Jesus touches clothes, garments, hem. The word there is hem. Felt instant healing who touched my clothes, is the question. This now wasn't a, a quiz by the disciples who were kind of frustrated, but, for the woman, fearing and trembling, she told him the truth. She was a, giving a confession of violation. She was saying, what she was saying to him was a way to confess her sins. I'm not supposed to be here. I know I'm unclean. I know I'm at wit's end. I am sorry. I just, I'm sorry. It's the context for her. And again, daughter, only time in Mark that it's used. Daughter. He sees what happened to her as a way to connect in faith. What's interesting is that now two daughters, one of prominent citizen, the other an outcast, your faith has made you well, go in peace. She's the outcast. He's on his way to see Jairus' daughter. The connection that Mark is starting to make is Jesus' touch creates family, intimacy, love. In the same way, that embrace that Mary Louise threw over my dad that very first time began to create a new family that's lasted, oh, I don't know, only 44 years, 45, 46. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> It's another story. So it's too late. Hopelessness into hopeful. Meanwhile, family messengers say it's too late. Let him go. Ultimate hopelessness. I can't think of a more hopeless situation than those words. Your daughter is dead. It's too late. Don't be afraid is the opposite of believing And this. So Jesus wants the inner circle witness. This is one of three times in the Gospel of Mark that he chooses the inner circle. So this is big, this is powerful, this is humongous. What Jesus is doing is creating an intimate setting in which to receive the daughter. What's interesting to know, and I mentioned it in, briefly, if you may have read or heard or studied the scriptures, you know that they would have professional mourners. So <clears throat> what you've got there when, when he arrives on the scene, and Jairus had he had, he had some money to spend on a professional mourners, so he would have more mourners than usual. There was, People playing the flute and people going "Oh, ah, oh!" Ah, and not necessarily in a sincere way, because the more noise they made it, the more you recognized that it was communicating the death of a loved one. And the more wailing and the and the more sort of moaning, the bigger the deal. If you were poor, you could only afford a f- one flautist and two mourners, and it kind of communicated something else. So there's there's a lot of the sort of protocols attached to this so Jesus is slicing through the protocols. He just picks three disciples. His top three is in a circle. He wants them inside. He goes inside and sees all oh, the... Oh! Oh! And says, okay, you guys, you, guys, you just got to stop. Picks three disciples, moves away from the professional mourners, and weepers and wailers, and goes in. Otherwise, can you imagine? He knows he's about to elevate this daughter and touch her hand and raise her and wake her. Otherwise, can you imagine the scene in The Professional Mourners when she does that? I mean, it's like a circus show. This little girl is going to come back to life, and in the midst of all of this, like, no, 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 we don't need a circus. We need the people who love her most. I want Peter, James, and John to see this. I want the parents to be there. Now, the phrase, she's not dead but sleeping, took me a while to get... I did a lot of reading on this. Because what's interesting is that the word dead and sleeping both mean dead. (laughs) It's like, well, okay, so she's not dead, but dead might be another way to actually translate the word. It's two different words, cathudo, meaning under, but they both mean dead. So I'm thinking, what is Jesus communicating to her? Well, they found it hilarious. What do you mean she's only sleeping? So they were absolutely persuaded. They said professional mourners. And these are people who had some money, so they had physicians, understandable, uh, presumably physicians, caring for her, and they had all kind of opportunity to know, she, no, no, she did dead. You know, they were laughing at Jesus. So he gets rid of all that. So, no, and then goes in. So he has said to her, She's not dead but sleeping. She's not dead but dead in a certain kind of way, and it confused me. But here's the thing is he takes her hand. Remember, he could have commanded, and there's other places in the Gospels where Jesus does. He says, be it so unto your faith, and it's done. Bam. They're they're done. This one is communicating through touch. He grabs her hand, takes her hand. Talitha kum. The phrase that's used in the Aramaic, Mark, puts it in Aramaic, and there's only one other time that the words are translated from Aramaic, which means, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when it's left in the Aramaic, they want us to go, this is critical, and you've got to get the Aramaic family context fitted around you, and maybe... It's just like saying, honey, it's time to get up. Treating death like sleeping. Normalizing it. Where I ended with this whole thing is that Jesus is, does with all the commotional folks, goes in there with the inner circle of the parents, takes her hand and says, honey, it's time to get up. He was treating Death like it's just sleeping. A foreshadowing of the price he would pay, of the suffering he would go through, of the struggle which would be his, so that our death could be like sleeping. Is it possible that when our loved ones have passed away that the Lord stood on the other side and said, Honey, time to get up. You thought you were living? that's dying, come into true and living life. The other reason I would offer that I love this text and I appreciate having the happenstance of having getting it is that we have a granddaughter whose name Telitha. Talitha. So I can't go through this text without seeing Talitha's face. and Talitha, honey, it's time to get up. Jesus was saying, This is what death is to me. It's a sleep. If you will but trust and believe in me, you will rise. So what you have in the power of Jesus' touch is the interjection of hope. When it feels most hopeless. An undoing of uncleanness. And an incarnational love that touches you. This means that the touch that Jesus offers from, or for that God offers, from the very moment he just made dust and dirt, and then what did he do? He breathed into it, living Nephish. The very lips of God and breath of God have come into us, very intimate expression, very touching expression. To the gift of Mary holding a little child as the son of God, to the church of God touching the lives of the community and people around us. Not touching those who will receive our touch, but touching those who will not. Using this silly metaphor that's decades old that speaks volumes, is that in that embrace that Mary Louise gave to my dad, a new family was created. Somebody who wasn't ready for it and hadn't practiced it. Guess how my dad and I Greeted each other after that with an embrace. Guess what Jesus will say to you at that time of dying and death Talitha, honey, it's time to get up and live. In Jesus' name, amen.